the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome into another week of the USL show. Uh, it's a little bit of a skeleton crew tonight, so we're not going to dig into a lot of the uh, games like we normally do, uh, but we are going to talk about some news, some fun stuff that happened to us this week, uh, some not-so-fun stuff that's happened this week, uh, and some of the uh, early season reactions. And tonight with me is, uh, from North Carolina, Ryan. How's it going? Good to be here, Alan. How are you? Things are going all right. It's the end of the school year, so things are winding down. But as things wind down, they get busier and busier because everyone crams everything into the last minute. So it's been a little bit of a chicken with my head cut off this past week. But after next Tuesday, it'll be nice and relaxing with summer vacation, or as we call it in the teacher world, that's like non-contract days. That's our that's our joke. Oh, joining the working world summer vacation is something I certainly miss. <laughs> right? Right? It's one of those things like, oh, man, I should have gone into teaching. Um, but, yeah, hopefully a little bit more relaxing summer and more time to watch tons of soccer because there's going to be tons of soccer this summer for sure. Yeah, between uh, Euros, the Gold Cup, uh, Nations League, which the United States had won tonight over Honduras, there is a lot of soccer going on in the summer that will make for very good watching so make sure you check in with all of those 18 subscription services that you need to use to watch all of these matches <laughs> everywhere i can't even keep them straight anymore they keep changing names i just like click on the button and i know it's good um so we're going to start off with a little bit of a bummer um in uh what happened in new mexico um ryan why don't you take us through what happened and then we can kind of react so uh, it w in the New Mexico Loudoun United match, Loudoun United had won one nil, but there was an early red card in the match. Within that match, there were, there were allegations of racial discrimination towards the Loudoun United keeper and team from New Mexico fans, and it's being investigated from the New Mexico United uh, team. Um, I, I don't believe USL has commented on it at this point, which is a, a bit disappointing. Um, at and so far, but it's just another. It's really disappointing that it's another one of these events have happened in the league. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of the stuff come out from uh, the curse and a lot of the fan, the supporters groups. You know, essentially calling on their fans to, if you heard something, say something. And I think that's kind of what's cost some of the investigations before is if no one really comes forward to say yes it was this person but i think apparently one of the ushers had made contact with one of the people uh so hopefully there is a better outcome than not sufficient evidence uh but what there's sufficient evidence of this is this is kind of an ongoing issue that should probably be addressed in a league-wide uh format or 
something more than just, hey, we couldn't fight, figure stuff out. Because once you kind of let that go and people realize that there aren't going to be consequences, um, I think it emboldens some people. Um, and, and we've seen this in other sports as well. It's just in, it's important to, if you're a real supporter of these groups or these, these teams, uh, you should want to keep them safe and you should want to treat them with respect. Um, and some of it needs to be policed themselves, but I think, you know, beyond that, teams need to do a better job of how they set up uh, and monitor behavior. Um, in-game recording system. I remember going to a Padres game and they were like, if you have a complaint, please text to this number. And it's like, I think that we need to have those systems in place where people in the match can feel comfortable reporting things kind of anonymously or um, maybe even not even anonymously, but just reporting these things in the match themselves. Because once the match is over, you're kind of at, at you're beholden to people who say stuff. Yeah, I'm hoping going forward that uh, the league has a much stronger statement towards much of these occurrences because it's happened far too many times this season alone that it needs to be addressed formally and it can't just be pushed aside or disregarded. It needs to be addressed formally going forward and these generic statements just isn't going to cut it anymore. And I think the other thing that makes me a little bit sad is the league has done a pretty decent job of putting together um, these initiatives and have been very vocal about these initiatives like Forever Proud uh, and stuff like that. And I think it really kind of hollows out that message when when it comes time to actually doing something about these issues Uh and there's nothing really, there's no consequences, there's no outcomes. It kind of makes those kind of really cool opportunities and, and initiatives feel very um, corporate speak. And, hey, we should be good for a year because we put a, you know, our logo and we turned it rainbow. Or we blacked out our logo for Black Lives Matter. Like These are, these are the times when... You, it's not just about putting together these initiatives, which are great. It's about how you follow through when the you know rubber meets the road. Yeah, and I'm. It's disappointing that the league hasn't taken a stronger stance towards all of that. We've seen that their lack of action in Charlotte and uh, many other occurrences around the league is speaking volumes and i just hope going forward that the league can find a way to make a stronger stance on these issues going forward because they are very important to the league and i mean another some important news to the league but you know maybe a little bit more tangential is the mls announcing uh they're applying for a division three status uh, for a new league that they're creating as if United States needs another league. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? It's interesting. It's interesting that they're going to go through and actually apply for league sanctioning. Like The assumption from all of us is that it's going to be any MLS2 side that's currently existing in the USL ecosystem is going to join this supposed D3 league. But the fact that they're going through and applying for sanctioning is 
intriguing because they could very easily just form their own U23 league in their own bubble somewhere. But the fact that they're trying to do that makes it seem like they want to be a part of the pyramid. And overall, I, I think the country is large enough that it needs multiple leagues, especially at a D3 level. There can't just be one national league. Uh, but it just it makes it so much more complicated and complex at the D3 level that we already have two team leagues competing for markets and teams that if there's going to be players who are looking at what league to join, they're going to try and join the one that's MLS because that has the most, quote-unquote, upside for all uh, of a potential future career. Yeah, I think the other thing that struck uh, stuck out to me is when you have guys who are clearly these, like, USL player, like, USL-level players who are probably not going to make it to MLS, do they still stick it out in the MLS system um, or do they look at that independence that USL gives and maybe a, a bigger pay? Um, they're that star player as opposed to the guy who's on the MLS two or, and then you talk about kind of fan bases and, and the community that you can build around these teams. And I think that's something to consider as well is uh, there's a lot of USL uh, clubs that have really put their roots into the community and is MLS on a division three level going to commit those types of resources and those types of effort in building that connection to the community. When we saw, you know, we've seen how it worked with LAFC taking over Las Vegas. It's kind of hurt that, that team as in its connection to their community. And so there is initially a overreaction one way about this is going to doom USL. This is going to doom Misa. This is going to doom all these, but it's on the flip side of that is USL and Nisa and all of these other, you know, div two div three soccer teams, what they offer to the cities and the fans and the supporters might be something that entices them to stay and support those USL or those NISA or those, you know, NPSL or, you know, all of those soccer leagues. Um, and I think that's where USL needs to dig in a little bit more and, and really highlight the fact that we're not just a placeholder or a guy a place that these guys uh, are going to come through and they're really caring about that top team. And that's where the energy is. Uh, I think that's a selling point that some of that USL needs to, to dig in on. So my next question to you is in two parts, uh, answer the first one uh, first, and then uh, we'll touch on the second one for MLS D three. If it's going to be just the MLS two sides going into this league, do you keep them as they are that they play somewhat close to the team or do you move them to another market to try and gain that foothold? Like kind of what New York Red Bulls do playing in Montclair State or what LAFC does playing in Las Vegas. Do you keep the team playing within their home market right next to the first team or do you push them to another market to try and gain a foothold in their kind of larger region? That is a phenomenal question and I think uh, I think if I was oh man I think it kind of depends on what you want to use the MLS 2 team for if it's purely for depth and more like a reserve type of program 
then you want to keep them close to the market so you guys are training together and uh, you're building that culture. Um, I can see the benefit of moving to a different, a slightly different region to tap into that market, but I think I would lean a little bit more toward keeping them close together to really build that team identity from top to bottom. So your guys are training uh, the similar ways, and you can get guys training with the first team more often. I think there's a benefit of that, especially if you're developing young players. Having those guys close to the pro team is probably going to benefit them longer. I mean, in the long run, yeah, you might miss out on a guy who's like, let's say, in Boise, Idaho. You might miss out on a guy because you're not that close. But I think there's enough opportunities, and MLS clubs are smart enough to scout those guys that you might not miss as many. But I I personally would keep them closer for that purpose. Maybe training, team chemistry, team identity, um, and working with first-team players might be better for development in the long run. I think it's interesting. I think it really depends on the team because I definitely think there are some MLS teams that could certainly expand into – or at least push their two team into other markets. There were the long-time rumors that the uh, Portland Timbers 2 would move to Boise, uh, Atlanta United 2 already play in Kennesaw, New York Red Bulls 2 already play outside of Red Bull Arena. So there are certainly instances where teams have played their B team outside of their home venue. But I, I still, like, I'm curious... Like going forward, is that the path that uh, an MLS two side would want to take if the league is going to have a mixture of teams who are going to be either focused heavily on development or heavily on fan culture? I feel like they're going to choose development nine times out of ten, and it's going to neglect the attendance, the fan culture, and it's just they will not care where they play these teams. And it's, and I think that leads itself into. If I am a L.A. team, I'm not going to try and build a stadium in L.A. where it's expensive. I might move them out of market a little bit if I need a second stadium because I know I'm not going to sell that thing out. Um, and, there, I mean, you look at Los Dos playing in this, like, giant stadium sometimes where it's like there's nobody there. Or uh, SK, what was it, Swope Park Rangers when they would play. Uh, <laughs> and it would just be, like, 40 people and you can hear everything. I think that's something to take into consideration, too. If you have your own facility and it's yours and you can play your you know, MLS 2 side, it's not going to cost you a ton of money. Or what Portland does, um, or it's basically you buy a package and you get tickets to... Uh, Timbers, Thorns, and you had the tickets to T2 as well. Like, that was part of your package. And so, you know, most of the people sold those T- T2 tickets if, you know, the, the big club was in town the night before. So I, I, I do think there's a lot of, of soccer business decisions, not necessarily, like, what's best for a team if you were an independent side. Moving on to my second question to it is, how does or with how USL reacts to it that if MLS is trying to get in on the lower league game, something that USL has been doing since, say, the modern era is 2011. Nice has been doing it a bit more recently. If you're USL, what is stopping you from forming a tier one or division one league with, say, the best USL championship clubs? Take your Louisville, your Sacramento, your New Mexico and form your own tier one league uh like what do you see usl's reaction to this being 
Yeah, I'm not sure there's enough teams to move up to a tier one and also have the depth of tier two and three that they think they're looking for. Like, I think this kind of cuts them off of their knees a little bit as far as like their development, but they've, they're talking about like what 30 teams in the next couple years or whatever from USL. Um, I think USL might shift to some like secondary markets and really flush out like cities that MLS don't really care about having a soccer team in, but will have good soccer culture and deserve a team. I think that's where USL can find that market in that division two. Uh, and MLS division three is one thing, but their USL is still going to have that control over that D two status. And, you know, I don't think they combine, but maybe USL D3 poaches some of the NISA teams over um, and strengthens their D3 program and kind of makes the MLS D3 a reserve league that, you know, when guys don't quite make it, they come to USL. Like if you look at Santi Moore and how, you know, his movement from uh, the Steel uh, to New Mexico and then to, to Phoenix, like I'm not sure that guy exists in the MLS um, pyramid. Um, and is happy there uh, where he's having much more success playing in the USL system where he's able to compete at his highest level and be really successful. Um, I'm not sure that that player exists in the MLS ecosystem because they're going to be looking for that next guy up um, first before they look at that, that guy who is probably on the, not the back end of his career, but the mid part of his career. And he's just not an MLS player yet or anymore um usl is going to offer him the ability to play at a high level get paid get loved by a fan base or you can go play div 3 mls in front of eight people where no one's really going to see you play i think that's that's the selling point still for usl um and for the players is like come here you're going to be the star here the fans are going to love you here you play with mls d3 as a as a guy, you know, there's no cap age cap. You're, you're just going to be that, that placeholder because you're going to be the guy developing the younger guy who is going to take that spot. Yeah. And I agree with you. I still think there is a place for USL within the lower division ecosystem that there's going to be those outstanding markets that truly bring in a lot of attendance that still bring in a lot of talent that MLS teams is either going to cast aside when they become 24 or or is just not going to look at for that level. We see Tampa Bay, we see Louisville, we see Phoenix bring in these very big talents for their team and it just boosts the entire league as a whole. So I still feel like there is a place for USL Championship and USL League One within this ecosystem, but it'll be interesting going forward to see what MLS D3 does. I'll be curious where they put a lot of their teams, if they keep them within home markets. My biggest concern would be if MLS decides, okay, DC United 2, you're going to move from Loudoun, we're going to put you in Baltimore now, or we're going to put Columbus Crew 2 in Cleveland, start like encroaching in on these really open markets that USL haven't been into, that it, it could certainly be a competition if MLS truly wanted it to be. Yeah, and I mean, they have the money to do it too, uh, and that's always money is almost always going to win um 
Speaking of fan bases and exciting them, uh, you and I both had fun actually returning to uh, watch soccer in person recently. Uh, you were at the Birmingham Atlanta game, right? Yes, it was my first uh, live sporting event, and I would say 14 months. My previous live sporting event was an ECU Ole Miss baseball game for uh, college baseball right before everything in the world turned to everything in the world. And uh, I was very pleased this past Sunday that I was able to attend the Atlanta United 2 versus Birmingham Legion uh, USL Championship match. It, w- it was held at Kennesaw State University up in Atlanta, and I was just very thrilled to be seeing live sports for the first time in well, quite some time. And unfortunately, you missed out on some of the, uh, the fireworks that Atlanta 2 had been showing the past couple weeks. Um, what was it like getting a chance to watch that match in person? It was interesting. I didn't know until after the fact that that was the the manager at the time his, for Atlanta United 2, his last match with the team. I think he went and took over the South Carolina job. So they appointed a new manager after the match. But when I was watching it with my dad at the time, it seemed like we had said like halfway through the game that this game is going to end nil to nil, that it just seemed like both teams were going to stifle each other defensively and that there wasn't going to be an equal there wasn't going to be something that would break the deadlock. But as it turns out, in I think the 92nd minute, Birmingham had won a penalty that sent them in front 1-0, and they eventually won the match. Uh, I personally don't think it was a penalty, but that's USL ref for you. It is what it is, but uh, I think one point each would have been fair, but... Birmingham had probably a little bit more of the chances in the game. And as per uh, a former uh, guest on the show, Kaylor Hodges said that if they hadn't scored, they'd be hitting the panic button. So I think Birmingham probably winning that match is a fine result. Maybe not the most fair one, but they probably got three points that they certainly needed. Yeah, it was a good week for them. Uh, two one nil victories, six points for them uh, against probably inferior teams. But I mean, a W is a W, and especially in USL with a tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker isn't goal differential; uh, it's wins. Um, you know, one nil wins are better than you know a one one draw, and you know, those wins do matter in the playoff situation. So, you know, winning 3-0, winning 1-0 um, might matter at the second tiebreaker, but getting that W is going to be going to come in handy for them uh, moving forward. Um, yeah, and I went to see San Diego Loyal play at Las Vegas. Uh, there have been two official home games with fans for San Diego Loyal in their existence, and both of them have been against the Las Vegas Lights. Uh so, uh, f- and one of them have been without Landon Donovan as head coach. Correct. Yeah, we the 
the supporters group was trying to really trying to get him to show up and uh, into the supporter section and sing and drum and all that stuff. But I think that might have been but might have been a bad look for a coach to do that. Like I think the the joke was I think Wondolowski did that in San Jose once. But I think it's a little bit different when it's a player versus you know a coach. Um, I know he made an appearance uh, at halftime on the uh, the broadcast, uh, but. You know, a, a pretty fun match. You know, obviously you'd want to see San Diego do a little bit better against Las Vegas um, based on Las Vegas' previous performances. Um, but I thought it was a, it was a pretty fun match. Uh, and San Diego getting three points at home uh, felt great. And it was just a fun night. Um, 2,000 people uh, drumming and singing the whole time. A couple of people made it out from Vegas even to watch the match. Uh, so there was a couple of away supporters as well. Uh, it is nice and, and it felt safe. It felt comfortable. Um, there were definitely, there was testing sections where you had to show your vaccination card or, you know, a, a negative test to get into certain sections and people were wristbanded. It felt like they were doing a really good job. And I know, um, there's probably people who have gone to previous matches, at their stadiums that fill that same way that just feeling that energy, uh, it makes a huge difference. I had a chance to watch a couple games at the end of last season. Uh, and it, it was, it, it felt weird and, and being back around people and seeing your friends and family, it, it does feel like a family reunion. Uh, so I know that there's a lot of people who are hankering to get back who haven't or who have and have experienced it and know exactly how that feels that it feels like it we're, we're, we're visiting family again. Yeah, it's honestly, I feel like I took for granted being able to easily go to sporting events uh, before everything and being able to go back to a sporting event that I almost just sat in awe that I was like, wow, this, it just feels like I'm back at a USL soccer match or any sporting event of any type that it just felt normal again. But Corey Hartsock with an 87th goal minute goal to get San Diego loyal, their first three points of the season, actually their first points of the year i know it's against las vegas but where do you see this kind of propelling the team forward uh for the rest of the season uh i mean getting miguel barry in was a huge boost to the team i think they look different um miguel abara was a, a signing right before the match too they've had a couple loanies to try and shore up the defense um i think when you know you're you're struggling early you feel snake bitten you feel like nothing's going your way and you know, to get a win is it's got to feel good for the team and give them some confidence going forward. Although they play Phoenix this weekend, so who knows? I mean, you might be back in that losing streak again, but being home and getting three points, I'm sure, was a huge relief to them. And what we've seen even this week is, you know, teams that look like they're down and out come back and look really decent. Teams that look like they've been on a roll uh, end up not doing well um it's, it was a really weird week this week in the usl uh so picking up three points um was was a huge you know a huge victory and it's still early season teams are still figuring themselves out i, I think that's why pick is so hard is you think a team's going one direction and then all of a sudden they just like lose themselves and um don't perform or you think a team's not going well and 
they're gonna they put two or three up on you and surprise you. It's been that way early on, and this past, especially this past week, it's been nuts. Yeah, uh, Pick'em has certainly been difficult to start the year. Our defending champion uh, Pick'em title is at risk as we begin the year. Uh, I don't want to say that uh, we're in last, but uh, yeah, we certainly are there. But on the bright side for San Diego Loyal, they're currently only four points out of fourth place for a playoff spot. They The teams between them do have a game at hand, but there's still plenty of time to make up that ground to get back into a playoff spot it's a long season yeah and i mean you look at some of these past scores this past weekend we already talked about the loudon united game where it was one nil loudon over new mexico you have la beating oc four to three in a crazy wild game that you can only watch half of on espn plus you know you have (laughs) phoenix only scoring a goal which seems like a shock with the way they've been starting um so it, it is I think, you know, Phoenix is for sure the team to beat in the West right now. Tampa Bay is clearly the team to beat in the East uh, right now. And it seems like the rest of everyone else is still very roller coastery. And, you know, the teams that are, you know, toward the bottom of the standings are uh, are still well within reach in most of these divisions uh, for a playoff match. Or And so... You can't get too low on yourselves, uh, and you can't get too high either. Like, hey, we had a great run, and then you have a lull in the middle of August, and all of a sudden the team goes on a run, and now you're looking on the outside looking in. So it's been it's been for sure a, outside of maybe a couple teams that have had a really hot start. It's been super roller coastery, and it's 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 fun in a sense. Um, that there isn't these teams running away with divisions right away. Um, outside of a couple clubs, but it's really going to be a fun uh, run into the playoffs, I think, in most of these divisions. Yeah, if you're talking about teams who have been really up and down in a roller coaster sense, I have to mention FC Tulsa, who have, like, you started the year really well, but then they pick up very poor results of conceding five goals to Atlanta United to losing 4-1 to SKC to as well that it just it seems like they've been very hot and cold that it just kind of echoes your sentiment of okay there's not going to be a fantastic team for many of these divisions it's going to be a bunch of teams trying to figure themselves out this year like even louisville is still trying to figure themselves out after four games they're still currently fifth in the central division i still believe they'll make the playoffs but it's still not the louisville that we have come to expect yeah, Tulsa letting in one goal over their first three matches, and that includes against Indy Eleven, and then dropping the next two. Yeah, they looked they look a little bit rough. Um, I, I watched parts of that game, and it feels like teams are trying to to put team like back lines together. Center backs are still kind of figuring out partnerships, and I think it speaks to kind of the the roller coaster of move or team movement in the usl it's like there's very few teams that really bring back a solid roster every year where they know that there's going to be that chemistry um you know you have new mexico united's been hit and miss this season pittsburgh started out really slow and they've won you know two in a row and now they're back up into fourth place and that's what i think teams that are 
kind of at that five six range right now are already looking at like hey pittsburgh started out slow and now they're already back in the conversation of they're going to be fine um although i'm not super sold on them being as consistently good as they've been but you know a three win three no win over new uh red bulls too is is a is a good outcome for them um and they've been kind of surprising to me is about how they started slow as well. Um, trying to see if anybody else has been super surprising uh, this past week. FC Tulsa is the only team that's currently occupying a playoff spot that has a negative goal differential. I know that's not a tiebreaker for the league itself, but it's still interesting to think about. But if you're looking at other surprising teams they haven't played a match in a while but hartford are still currently unbeaten tampa bay is unbeaten uh el paso and tacoma are the all currently still unbeaten teams within usl at the moment everyone else has at least taken a loss somewhere yeah tacoma had their game postponed because of weather i believe uh and they're going to make up that game later yes um but i mean that's a really solid start for tacoma tacoma's Um, been a nice you would like to see. Yeah, me, they've me been a very that. nice surprise to start the year. Yeah, and hopefully this longer break doesn't uh, doesn't break their stride. Uh, but then you're going to have a ton of games later, and this is what happened last year with um, even the Oakland Roots and Orange County. They've only played three matches, not because anything got canceled, but they're super back heavy, and so there's going to be some of that ebbs and flows as teams play tons of games in a row. Um, winning all of them might not be in the cards whereas you know you're you're starting early with a tough road road uh a bunch of road games and you start out kind of rough but then you get a bunch of home games in the middle and go on a run so i I think we're still you know i like to think 10 games is a pretty fair place to kind of start judging teams uh but even then you know at 10 games you're going to get a night kind of an idea uh, but I think over this long season, uh, it's nice to remember that 10 games in is still like a third of the season. So anything can still happen over the back, you know, 67% of the of the season. I agree. And it's still very early in the year. We have teams who are ranging from anywhere from playing three games to playing seven games. And it's still incredibly unbalanced on how you look at the standings at the moment. I mean, Charleston currently has played three games and are sitting dead last in the Atlantic Division, but I still believe Charleston will be a playoff team come the end of the season. And and it just, it, I, I think it's early, and it's tough to make a lot of judgments about these teams from this point in the year. Yeah, it's almost like, hey, wake me up when everyone's played 10 to 12, and then we can kind of talk about you know these trends it's like it's like looking at game to game xg it's like it's nice but really like over the course of a season is really where that stat really speaks to how many goals you scored versus how many you're expected to score because some games you're going to score goals that are you know a 40 percent chance of going in you might score two of those and now you have two versus a 0.8 xg and then you might have a bunch of really good chances where you only score one, where your XG is like three and you only scored one. Like, I think right now the sample size is so small uh, that it's really hard to predict trends. I mean, obviously, Tampa looks great. Obviously, Phoenix looks great. Like, you have those teams that, yeah, 
outside of those those outliers uh even some of the teams that are underperforming have had like even las vegas like you watch parts of their matches and so they there's quality there it's just that you know maybe not enough quality um OKC is probably, you know, another one that I might not watch any of their matches ever. And I think we talked about that in the previous podcast. <laughs> but I think for most teams, they're still kind of figuring out who they are and their identity. Um, and so, yeah, wake me up when everyone's played about 10 to 12 and we can start talking about those longer trends. Two questions for you. Pony had this posed on Twitter, uh, I think, earlier in the week. What is more likely, Tampa Bay wins the Supporter Shield or Las Vegas gets the wooden spoon? Ooh. Um, ooh. I mean, Tampa's in a tough division. And so is Las Vegas. I would probably go... Oh, man... I would probably go Wooden Spoon. That's what I picked. Although, like, Tampa Bay is in, like, one of, you know, two or three teams that I think could really challenge for, you know. But I think it's more likely. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I think I'm going to stick with that. I think I'm going to stick with that. I think there's enough teams in some of the other divisions that have maybe not great teams that they can pick up some wins against each other, pick up some points. Um, whereas, you know, Vegas, the way that Tacoma's playing right now and the way that Oakland's playing right now, uh, Vegas is going to have a tough time picking up points uh, the way they're running their system. I agree. I think Las Vegas is more likely to get the wooden spoon than they than Tampa Bay winning the Supporters' Shield. I still think both could happen exclusively, but... Uh, Las Vegas is certainly more likely. My second question to you is the following teams currently have zero wins on the year. Charleston, Oklahoma City, Memphis, Real Monarchs, and Las Vegas. I believe Charleston will easily get a win somewhere, but do you believe that there will be a team that will either go winless or how? if not, how long do you think one of these teams without a win could go winless? Um, I mean, I think Real Monarchs can definitely pick up a win, um, like a home match. And then they have a couple draws, 2-2 San Antonio and 1-1 versus Austin. Like, I think they could have won that San Antonio match. Uh, so I think they pick up a win. Um, OKC's drawing a lot, but they have some... Like, I think I can see OKC and Memphis both getting wins against each other. Like... You know what I mean? Like they, it was a nil-nil draw last or the May 29th. Like all you need is a goal, and you're gonna pick up a win. Um, oh man, I can see. Ooh, I don't want to. I can see Vegas going a the, very long time without a win. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big question is, does Las Vegas get a win? Because if you're looking at OKC, they've have four. Basically, of their last five, they've drawn four of them, so they're almost bound to get a victory somewhere. Memphis has gotten two draws in their last three, or their first three. Hey, Real Monarchs is 0-2-2, and it almost seems like Vegas 
is the one club that's the crux of this entire situation of do they get a win or not? And I feel like they have to get a win somewhere, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if they don't. Yeah, I mean, the the road game against SLC July 23rd, like maybe, I mean, they play El Paso. That's another outside of the division. I mean, I, they might be able to, like, pull something off. I mean, they almost pulled off a draw against Loyal. Uh, but they're, I mean, their goals allowed is is pretty rough. Um, their goal differential is, like, pretty significantly worse than any other team. So maybe if they can figure out how to not let in as many goals, they might pull that off. But, I mean, they have a negative 12 goal differential, and that's, you know, twice as much as the next lowest which i think is san diego um and those are the two worst xg against i believe in the league uh leading up to their their match against each other so right now the way that vegas is giving up goals i would have to say they're gonna have a tough time winning because they're gonna have to score two or three to win and not give up you know more than two and i just don't see them doing that it would be interesting if we had a modern era Antigua Barracuda 20, I want to say 2012, who went winless their entire year, 0026. So we'll, it, it will be interesting if there would be another team like that. I think at worst, Las Vegas can at least pick up a draw somewhere that they avoid the uh, dubious honor of being the next Antiqua Barracuda. Yeah, I, I think they can get some points. I'm just not convinced that team has enough to get a win against a lot of the teams in their division. I think if they're in a different division... Anyone. Yeah, I think if they're in a different division, maybe. But I think that division is going to be tough for them to pick up a win. I can see them getting some draws and getting some points, so not being completely blanked. Uh, but right now, like they can prove me wrong, but right now the way they're playing, it's it's hard to see them getting to a point where they're gonna pick up three points. And just think, the USL offices could have decided that the Pacific Division has seven teams in their division this year, and the Central has eight because if you're going to shift a team to the Central, Las Vegas would be the one to pick. Yeah, I mean. That or SLC, but probably Vegas. They're close. They're further south. Yeah, I mean SLC's currently in. The, or sorry, SLC's currently in the yeah. mountain. But uh, it's either going to be Vegas or Phoenix that yeah, would right. have been shifted into that kind of mountain division. But yeah, it, it honestly could have come down to a division of where a team was decided on what uh, division they play in to kind of determine the rest of the year. And we've already spoken at length about how tough this Pacific Division is. There have been a few surprises within Los Dos, within Tacoma. But, yeah, I just don't see a boating goal for Las Vegas. But it, I, it'll be interesting to see if they pick up a win somewhere. I mean, I'm certainly hoping that they don't go forever without winning like i don't wish that on any franchise but well all right should we get out of here yeah and it's just not a good look for the league right yeah Yeah. i think so uh where can we find your thoughts on the interwebs (laughs) 
So you can find me on Twitter at ILM underscore Ryan. And you can find the uh, USL Show podcast on Twitter at the USL Show on Twitter. Thanks. You can find me at AIWood48 on the Twitter machines. And to uh, borrow a phrase from Evan, uh, one rule for the USL Show is don't be a dick. Have a good night, everyone, and or good day if you're listening to this later. And thank you for joining us on the USL Show.